This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Welcome everybody to Views on View. Today in our panel, we have Divya Sasidaran. Hello. We also have John Papa. Hello, everybody. Eric Henshit. <laughs> and also Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. And my name is Chris Fritz. Today, our guest is Duncan Grant. Duncan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a JavaScript developer. I've been working for about, I don't know, the last 10 years or so, kind of focused on web technologies. Probably the first thing I loved in JavaScript was jQuery, the simplicity that that brought and, and the cross-browser compatibility and all of that stuff. Yeah, um, I, think, I think a lot of people started with jQuery and like really fell in love, yeah. like feeling powerful. Yeah, it was just not having to hunt down weird IE issues and that kind of thing. It just made everything mm -hmm. so much smoother. And uh, yeah, I'm here to talk about 10 things I love about Vue. Beautiful. And, and that started out originally as a blog post you, write, uh, you wrote, right? That's right. So I guess I've been doing a kind of personal blog on JavaScript and front-end technologies for about a year. And uh, this was my most successful one earlier in the year. And it kind of went around social media and got some good discussion going. And also, I think it was kind of at the cusp of when, you know, Vue was very popular and, and was taking off, but maybe it was kind of third third level down, you know, Angular, React at the top. And I think Vue is very much contender for at least number one spot. Not that it has to be a competitive I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't do rankings. I, I'm glad that there's a lot of diversity in the ecosystem because we keep learning yeah. from each other. And I, I think we do make each other better all the time. We're uh, all special. But yeah, we, 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 have, we have a lot of users and a lot more users than we used to have. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think we'll, it's best to call it that everybody is number one. And, you know, maybe views 1A and then another firm might be 1B. I mean, I, personally, I, I don't really think after a certain threshold, I don't even think it matters that much because you, you need a certain threshold to have like a vibrant community. And then after that, it, it's just like more people and it's still vibrant. Uh, so I, I think right. all of the major frameworks are at a good place. I think that's right. And I think, I mean, having that popularity is definitely a good thing, having the community to support things. But there's, there's equally lots of good frameworks out there, which sadly, I haven't had the time to discover fully, but I know that they, they seem very interesting to explore things like uh, Marco.js. I don't know if you heard about that one. Mm -hmm. um, it's made by a team at eBay. And I, I think the frameworks similarly, they're all kind of, you know, bounce off of each other and share some of the good ideas. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've definitely learned some things from the other frameworks, continue to. And I know, you know, they've taken some lessons from us in some cases. So, yeah, I'm really grateful for those different, different ecosystems, different mind shares to, to create new ideas. Because otherwise, if there was just one framework, I think it would just suddenly die one day. Like there'd be some bloody revolution, <laughs> you know, with something else, because change would, change would kind of have to be violent. I, I, I probably wouldn't cool. like Vue as much if I was forced to use it, let's say. It's nice. Oh, yeah, 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 I agree. That's a good point. I think that's true for all the frameworks. I think too many people get caught up on uh, trying to worry about, am I using the best, latest, awesome, most popular thing out there? Yeah. Not just in JavaScript, but in everything. And I'll tell you a dirty little secret about the container world. It's as I'm in conversation with uh, my buddy the day about containers. And he was telling me, what, this is basically how the last two years went with me and him. He's like, you don't know containers, you need to learn it. Wait, you don't need Docker? Don't learn containers, learn Docker. But don't do Docker like that anymore. Now use Dockerfile. <laughs> Dockerfile yeah. is old, John. Use Docker Compose. John, why are you using Docker Compose? Now you got to use Kubernetes. And I'm like, you just mirrored the exact same discussion every JavaScript developer has gone through over the last seven years. Yeah. With different <laughs> technologies. So. Yeah. And I, a question I get a lot is like, like, should I use Vue over X, whatever X happens to be? And the answer is always, for me, do you feel happy and productive using X? And if the answer is yes, no, absolutely. Like, it sounds like you're in a good place. There's no reason to switch. What if somebody feels happy and productive, but necessarily happy and productive? <laughs> what would you tell them? I really, I think their feelings is all that matters. Like if they're, if everybody on the team is like comfortable with the progress that they're able to make, then 
this probably isn't the biggest problem for them. There's probably other problems that they could, you know, put their energy into, you know, like creating more tests or something like that, which is agnostic to any kind of framework. So just, I'm just going to throw this out there. If I'm really happy using Scriptacular, Scriptaculous, which one is it? What's it called? I forget. Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. John, do you remember? What's the name of this? Joe, I'm not helping you out with this conversation. <laughs> I was trying to find the oldest. <laughs> so, are you, are you trying to find? Are you trying to find something that people that that you think people no, should nobody be using? Use, I'm pretty sure nobody uses it anymore. <laughs> pretty sure nobody uses it anymore. All right. Well, I'm way off. On, I'm way off on the edge. Let's get back to something. Yeah. So, Duncan, so going on. We're just going on that thought, actually. So, I've probably only been using Vue for about a year and a half, and I kind of I was happy and content using React. And I still do use use React to some extent, and I guess that kind of made me reluctant to even look at Vue. I was just like, "Oh yeah, another another kind of framework out there, kind of suffering JavaScript fatigue a bit." I wasn't really interested to look at it, even though there were some people saying, "You should really check out Vue. It's so cool. It does this." Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, no, I don't want to do that." Eventually, though, I did have a look, and it was a comment. What was on, the tipping point for you? Well, it was actually I think it was a comment on Hacker News, and it was someone saying that. Uh, they say they were saying Vue is the, is like the new jQuery, and I just thought this is kind of I know it's nothing like jQuery. You know, jQuery is this old library which is trying to do different things, and Vue's you know a view a view library basically of uh, yeah. modern JavaScript. But but anyway, just this kind of ridiculous comment had. I, I don't think it's it. I, yeah. I don't know if it's actually ridiculous. Yeah, go ahead with the what greater truth did you see? Yeah. Okay. I guess ridiculous is the wrong word. More, more, um, very out there comment. You know, I just thought, well, yeah. okay, how how is this going to back up? So I kind of went exploring at that and say, okay, mm-hmm. well, what is there to like about Vue? And I, I found very quickly, especially coming from React world, where many of the same concepts are still reusable, but I just preferred the way it was kind of using existing web technologies. It wasn't trying to do something different. It was, it was, you know. It felt like a smaller layer. There's no JSX and things. Well, there is if you want it, but it's it's kind of use what you want. And yeah, I think just, that, that kind of essence was similar in jQuery. Use what you want and, it, and it's there if you need it. So you can just kind of like drop it in and start using it and you don't have to know everything about it. Exactly. And um, Sarah Dresner, she actually did a really good blog post a few months back and it was about how you can... It was it was about this actually how how uh, view is similar to jQuery. You can drop it in a web page. Yeah. You don't have to use your whole app as view. You can just pick and choose bits. You know, if you just want a form to be viewified, you can do all that. Yeah, Sarah Sarah's a great yeah. communicator. Oh, that was yeah, that <laughs> yeah, was actually that was a, a really excellent post that she wrote. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that was that explained view in a very succinct manner. And we'll, we'll try to drop that in the show notes as well. Yeah. So I think it'd be fun. I know that you're, we're here to talk about the ten things you like about view, but I think it'd be really fun to ask a totally opposite side of the coin question what don't you like about view yeah what don't i like oh that's that's a good question it's it's hard it's hard to say i suppose i mean we don't have to go into it right away we could we could circle back yeah. around to it but it is something that i want to talk about today well i suppose one of the things about view is some of the things i don't like about it are what it's not the kind of lack of view because it's it provides you only so much and in in many ways you know Virtual DOM has been done over and over again by all these different libraries. There's not a lot to choose in terms of choosing a virtual DOM implementation, even though obviously it's a very good idea to have virtual virtual DOM for a number of reasons. But those those kind of problems are conquered. It's the, the difficult things like managing managing state. I mean, Vuex does does a good job of that, but some of the complexities of your application are kind of unanswered by Vue. I don't know if that's a bit unfair saying you know comparing it to saying that I don't like something about it because it's not there, but it's no, I, still... I think I think that is a good point and a, a good observation. Like, Vue doesn't have a lot of opinions. It tries to be very versatile, whereas some frameworks like Angular and Ember in particular, like, makes a lot of assumptions about the, the kind of app that you're building. And so if you're building that kind of app, it, it gives you so much more structure to to help you do things in a sane way, which can be especially useful for people who want to build really large applications and you know have the time to like learn how to do it right, but want some guidance. You know they they, they can't make up their own like application architecture. And neither side of those are are good or bad, right? There's it depends on how you like to roll. I think if you mm-hmm. want 
It, it's funny because I work at Microsoft and one of the common questions we hear a lot is we want to have a lot of options on how to build something. And then we also hear five seconds after that is, I wish you'd stop giving me so many options. Just tell me the right way to yeah. do it. Yeah, it's a balance. And I think that's the same thing here is that there's some frameworks. I mean, I kind of agree with you. I think Ember and Angular more on the side of, here's kind of how we feel like you should build it. Yeah. And Vue is more on the side of, you can build it this way or this way or that way or this way mm -hmm. or roll your own. Yeah. And there's there's levels in between. And I don't think any of those are wrong. I just think yep. it, they appeal to different personalities. Yeah, different personalities and different like team dynamics sometimes. Like if you have if you have a lot of people like leaving and joining the team and you're kind of defining most of your own application architecture, then you have to manage all of your own internal docs. And if you're using something like, like Ember or Angular, which have very good docs on like explaining how to, how to organize everything, then instead of having to maintain all of those internal docs, you can outsource that essentially mostly to the people who maintain Angular and Ember. Yeah, which which is an advantage. Yeah, it's sort of like yeah. you have this convention over configuration, and you have these strong beliefs, but they're like loosely held. I mean, so I mean, it depends on where you're you're coming from. If you like, like I, I like working on Angular, like John said, definitely in Ember. Try taking an Angular project and pulling out the Angular library and just putting it in as a script tag somewhere. Like it's going to be impossible to get it running. It's, I've heard of people doing it, but it's very difficult. Yeah. Unlike Vue. difficult, I would say, yeah. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible anymore. <laughs> yeah, and you know, but with Vue, obviously, you know, Harold is the progressive framework. You should be able to yeah. to do that much easier. I'll say one more negative for Vue, just since we're on this negative topic. Yeah, is that. Um, I think that the, com the community is growing bigger and bigger, and a lot of companies are starting to have Vue teams or either they'll have a few frameworks and one team will work on Vue. It's still, the jobs aren't quite as high. If you look in Indeed.com and just put in San Francisco, you're going to see 100. Comparative, comparatively, a lot more React and Angular yeah. jobs than, than Vue. But I think that's that's changing. Oh, I think I think part of that, though, is like I've I've known some people who are looking for someone to use Vue, but with their experience using Vue, they don't really feel like they need someone with a lot of Vue experience. They need someone with JavaScript experience, you know, so that really they're looking for a JavaScript developer, ideally with experience using components, you know, whether that's using components with Angular or components with React, like it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you can onboard that person pretty quickly because of, because of Vue's fairly gentle learning curve. And because do they don't have to learn everything right away in order to get started and be productive. But if they know yeah, HTML, JavaScript, that's, us. that's the biggest difference to me is it was view is it feels to me like I felt when I got into angular JS five, six years ago, whatever it was, mm -hmm. it feels like, wow, I can get up and running in this thing very quickly. And then yeah. I can build on while there's still as many concepts in view as there are in the rest of them, I, I would argue. Yeah. You don't have to take them on until you're ready. I feel like it's an easier, slow progression to build things as you go. Whereas with Angular, and I'm deeply in Angular as well, I do both these now. With Angular, I feel like you have to bite a little bit more up front now, the newer versions. Yeah. At, at once. And then once you get past that, I feel like they're about the same. But mm -hmm. it's definitely easier to slide into view from when I've taught people. I definitely agree with that. So I've also used Angular and uh, and also Angular JS. Uh, I've heard many people actually say that that Vue is kind of the natural upgrade path. For, if you were using Angular JS, you'll move to Vue much easier than if you were going to Angular two and on, onwards. And myself, when I was initially learning Angular, I found it very frustrating to begin with because it's like, okay, I'll sit down. I need to learn Angular, and then this RxJS. What's this? This is all tied in. What is that doing? And then TypeScript is being used and there were kind of all these other related technologies, which I felt I had to get my head around at the same time as learning Angular. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of happy with Angular now, but the learning curve is definitely steeper in the beginning. Yeah, and it's not that any of those are bad, right? It's just that it's like, wait, I came into here to learn this. And now you're telling me I have to learn RxJS and TypeScript and uh, observables yeah, it's and reactive different patterns. Yeah, yeah and, and reactive patterns are really, really powerful. Like I... I bring like RxJS into a lot of Vue apps, you know, when we when we need it. And 
And so I think there is a lot of value in like learning how to learning how to think in that reactive paradigm. Yeah, and this is a trick that all these these frameworks, platforms, libraries, whatever they all like to call themselves these days, have is how do you make them powerful yet yeah. also easy to slide into? And that's a difficult thing to solve. Yeah, I think of it as like Angular 2 Plus. I think of it a little bit like Vim, where there's there might be like a lot of new things to learn at first, you know, for for, for some people. But then once you get started, like you can you can be pretty powerful and you know, you can you can configure a lot of things. The funny thing with all of them is, honestly, is now that they all have a great CLI, React, I'm going to talk about all meaning React, Vue, and Angular. I consider those three to be the biggest the biggest and the best, honestly. And there's some other good ones too, but all three of those have an amazing CLI. And mm-hmm. if you start at the CLI, I think you'll have a good path with all of them. Yeah. I see people occasionally start without the CLIs with them. And that's where I go, you know, try this real quick because... That wall you're running into, the CLI just kind of means you never even see that wall. It, it steers yeah. you right around it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, you don't actually have to become a webpack expert if you don't want to. Yes, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I unfortunately was developing before that was really true for, for anything. Me too. Uh, so, I, I, I've had to b- become sort of a webpack expert, and sometimes, it, sometimes in my consulting work, it's. I, I end up doing like webpack consulting without even meaning to. <laughs> yeah, I was a grunt. And that's where the problems are. Uh, grunt, then gulp, and that got replaced for a while by System.js. And then uh, was it JPSM? And then there was uh, Webpack. And it's yeah. just nice now. The CLIs kind of hide all that complexity for us. But anyway, yeah, but about, back to um, the CLI actually is. So, yeah, I agree. I've, I've been using kind of the, the Vue 3. CLI recently, so yeah. that's really cool, and it has a lot of interesting technologies you can get up. You can get up on it, so you can easily use TypeScript as well, and that kind of thing. Not that I'm a big TypeScript user myself, but one thing that the CLI does push is it is going back to the idea of convention over configuration. It kind of it does lean it slightly more towards convention at that point. But I, I, I mean, the programming and stuff is still very much you know easily configurable in Vue. But it's it's an interesting idea that it's it's kind of pushing towards that a little bit. Yeah, we provide out of the box conventions, but it's not a case where, you know, there are there are things tied together that will break if you start moving stuff around and, you know, if you have strong opinions. And I I work with a lot of teams that do have strong opinions, you know, like there are things that they've been doing that have been working very well for them, you know, ways that they've been organizing their applications that they want to stick with. So they don't have to like completely learn like a new system of organizing things. And I've never had a problem doing that with Vue CLI 3 and, and getting it to work with whatever they're comfortable with. Okay. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I'm, I think, I'm quite new to it myself. Yeah, and I think uh, Vue CLI 3 also lends itself to adding configuration if you so choose. Because if, for example, you're doing, in, in multiple projects, you're doing the same sort of configuration that Vue CLI doesn't give out of the box, you can maybe create a plugin that allows you to add on to the existing like base version of Vue CLI, which gives you that configuration that you can then replicate over multiple projects. So, I mean, yeah, in absolutely. a sense, there is the convention of a configuration, but there's also the ability to configure if you so choose. Yeah, and you can configure your own convention, like within exactly. the company. Yeah. Like if you're creating a new project, like within that company, you can define that like everybody uses this plugin, which like sets up the new project the way that you want it to be set up. Mm-hmm. And, and you did this for, I think... Um, uh, Vuex modules yes. because you wanted namespace modules, yep. right? Yep, I did that for Vuex modules because I think Vue CLI out of the box. If even if you do manual config, if you want Vuex, it doesn't give you module namespace. Yeah, not out of the box. Not out of the box. Yeah. You have to still configure that yourself. And I, from most of the projects I've worked on, I always use module namespaces just because I work with multiple components and mm-hmm. there's a lot more complexity with the state management. And so, like, I built a plugin, which is actually not very difficult. And it's, it's probably a blog post that I need to finish. Because and now you can just use that instead of exactly, like is, the, the Vuex plugin that, yep. that Vue offers. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I use in my projects, which is pretty nice. Yeah. Duncan, I'd like to ask you a question about one of the points in your blog post, if you don't mind. Sure, go for it. So number two in your blog post, which is a great post, by the way, just skimming through it. Uh, single file components. I have my own opinion, but I want, I want to challenge you on something you said okay. and see what you think. So in your, in your second paragraph in there, you talk about it has, the, it has the nice effect, SFCs, single file components, has a nice side effect of encouraging you to keep your code short for each component. I actually agree with you, but 
I want to challenge you on that. I've been to a lot of places. Really putting there. it in the hot seat, John. <laughs> <laughs> Does it really stop people from making small components or big components, like 4,000 line ones, you know? What have you seen? Yeah, it, I mean, it probably doesn't. I haven't personally seen any real horror stories of of view code, but I'm sure they are out there. And as I say, I mean, I guess it encourages you to write something in this way. If, if you're kind of really not getting the concept that that uh, components are kind of nestable, reusable, you, you don't have to have everything in one big file, then you've kind of missed the point of view, I think. And that's that's a shame because it's very easy to... to uh, I mean, think, things start getting big. And at that, at that point, that's the time you think, man, this 500 line file, why this is a mess now. I need to clean this up. And uh, 500 would be nice in some of the places I see. Some yeah. of these are like 5,000. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I haven't seen, I don't think in the wild, I've seen like a 4,000, 5,000 line view component. So, so that is nice. But I have seen, and, and to be honest, I've written some, some big components that, you know, I've decided later, it's like, I, I got to break this out. You know, it, there was some convenience in keeping it all together. But at, at a certain point, like things get to a certain level of complexity. And, and I don't think of it as lines of code. I, I think of it as like what you feel comfortable and what the other people on the team feel comfortable with. When it starts feeling complex, where it's just like, I can't keep the component in my head at this point, then it's, it's a good idea to break it out because it, it's really difficult to develop any file, whether it's a component or not, if you can't just like keep what the file is doing in your head. Oh, and, and I, I think, I think we're all getting at is components. We should make components as small as they feel good, right? Yeah, and yeah. That, that level might be different for everything, but... Mm-hmm. I think also on a kind of psychological level, developers, you know, people always say developers are lazy. And there's definitely truth to that because you don't want to keep repeating yourself. You, you write lots of code every day and, it, and, it, and it's a burden. And uh, with single file components, you know, you only have one place to write down all of your code related to a new component. If you uh, say using another framework and you're thinking, okay, I want to write a new, a new component and let's, let's, uh, let's uh, nest this as a, as a child of this component, you, you have that burden of thinking, oh, now I have to know the context of that component. I have to create two or three different files for this component. And it's just, it's a very small thing, but I guess psychologically, there's, a, there's a less of a barrier in view. I, I think, again, I really like this post from what I read so far. I actually agree with all your points, which is makes it for a less contentious discussion, unfortunately. We like to have little arguments, right? But Yeah, create some drama. <laughs> I love your points here. And I was reading through these thinking, if I didn't know this article is about Vue, how would I feel if this was for React or Angular, for example? And I think some of these things obviously are very Vue-specific, but some aren't. Like even SFC, which are really arguing for, I think they're stating out, is that people like smaller components and it helps promote that. Easily extensible. I think a lot of those could be there. With Vuex being great, uh, and I agree that it's really awesome, what I think you're really talking about there, and I like your opinion, is managing state on the web is hard, and Vuex makes this much easier than it would be without it by far. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, is that where you're coming from, or do you feel differently? Or? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's true, because when you start to write anything non-trivial in Vue or React or any of these other frameworks, you quickly realize, I, I can't just pass all my state from the top component down to the child and then go back up there and call some function on the, on the top, it becomes a mess very quickly. And, and you think there's got to be a better way. And Vuex is really the answer to that and, and some other problems. The thing I like about Vuex also is it's just, it's obviously got Vue in the name. It's, it's very tightly integrated into Vue. Whereas something like, I don't really want to, as I didn't want to pick on different frameworks in my blog post, but I end up inevitably naming some. So I just say, you know, React there's, there's so many more options which you would go through. I mean, Redux is the main contender there. But Redux, to me, doesn't quite have the same um, simplicity that Vuex does. There's many different ways of using Redux. There's lots of different patterns. And I think many people actually misuse Redux as well or use it when they don't need to. And uh, Dan Abram of The Creator, he's yeah. even you know, written a blog article about you might not need to use Redux. His invention, he's saying you don't have to use it necessarily. It's there to solve a certain per- problem. Uh, you can use it in different ways, but Vuex, I think, is is a much easier sell with Vue. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of what he says about Redux uh, also applies to Vue. Yeah, people often ask yeah. me, "When do you need Vuex?" And one of the answers that I often give is like, "Are you currently having frustrations with managing state in your application?" No, then you might not need Vuex. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because it 
it's there. It's extra complexity, and it is extra complexity that that it's a, it makes things a little bit more complex up front in order for lower complexity as you scale up. You know, so it's making it is making a trade off. And if you're not at a point where like things feel complex, then you're just making things complex without getting that benefit. <laughs> And something else that is worth considering when you make the decision is also, are you using Vue to its full complexity or like to its full potential? So for example, if you wanted like parent components to pass, like pass props essentially down Mm -hmm. or pass state down to like grand or great grandchildren, you can actually do so using like provide inject maybe instead of using Vuex because that's possible. And if you're, if, if that's not something that you're using or if that's a specific use case that you want to fix you could easily do that using Vue without having to bring in Vuex potentially. So, so in some cases, if state is feeling really complicated, the solution might not be Vuex, but rather like using the right tool for the right job. Exactly. Using the right tool and being able to like address what exactly your problem is rather than assuming that Vuex is the, the fix-all solution. Yeah, Vuex will just like <laughs> fix any problem that yeah. you might have. If you don't feel good about your application, try Vuex. <laughs> It sounds like a doctor's uh, medical assessment there. Thank you, Chris, very much. <laughs> Four to five view, view on uh, view panelists approve of UX. UX may have some yeah. side effects. <laughs> I do think, and I like, the, I like the way you worded that a lot, too, because it's really a progression, right? I'm staring at you like you can tell who I'm pointing out at the screen. <laughs> um, I like the way you talked about it because it's like a progression. You, you think about, I have some kind of state. If all you're managing, and I hear this a lot in the Angular world, uh, all I really need to do is pass the user's profile around. And that's the only state they're managing. Like who's logged in, their name, some other minor information. Do I really need to go with NGRX, which is like the leading one mm-hmm. for the Redux or Vuex for Angular? And I'm like, no, you could just create like a simple class that stores that information. And there's dependency injection built into Angular. You just inject the class where you want and share that state and you're done. Mm-hmm. You know, because I get a lot of people coming to me saying, I've been told I should never do that ever again in my life and I should always use NGRX. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you need to use the right tool for the right job. Yeah. And, and the, talk to that. The only patterns that I warn people about are the patterns that, like, if the application changes in a certain way, will be really hard to refactor to something else. Yeah. That, that's, that's the only thing that I'm worried about. Like, uh, up until that point, like use whatever is going to like keep things pretty flexible so that you can refactor without a lot of pain if you need to mm-hmm. and makes you happy right now. The only thing I avoid as far as state goes is, and I'll, I'll leave out the framework specific terms for it because each of them has one. And instead I'll just say, create a global variable that the page can share that the framework can then access to share the app state around. Mm-hmm. Uh, those kind of things I think can get you in trouble a lot of just hey, let's create on window document some state object and shove stuff in there and the whole application gets to that. Uh, that one I think is very difficult to, to keep in sync and keep consistent when it's yeah. the source of truth. Yeah, that's similar to how we, I think on previous podcasts we've talked about this where there's an anti-pattern, which is global event buses in view, which, mm-hmm. which, is, which, is, which is the same. It's very difficult to manage because it can yeah. get out of hand. And, and to be fair, like we've, we've taught people how to do it before because some people have asked how to do it. And then we've realized like, no, there isn't actually a situation where like, you know, there are other also simple patterns that would probably be better in those cases. Mm -hmm. I think the problem is it demos well, right? Sometimes the easiest thing to show is it demos really well, but then when you put them into real apps, those things don't play out so great. Yeah. So our goal is to provide options that demo as well, like has all the advantages of an event bus because they're using event bus for a reason. Like, People who are using an event bus aren't, aren't stupid or anything. <laughs> you know, there are real advantages to that pattern that they're that they're looking for, and so providing a pattern that will give them those same advantages that doesn't have the same disadvantages is is what we're aiming for. Yeah, and to to, to be clear and really quick, I just want to say uh, I'd recommend using root state, so using this dollar sign root and keeping all of your state on the root rather than using an event bus, because then you still have all of your state in one place, which will be much easier to move over to UX if you if you need to make that migration. And it offers a lot of the same advantages. You can still access your state from any component, but you're not you're not duplicating the same state between components like you would with an event bus oftentimes. 
So that's, that's all I'll say about that. I just wanted to, instead of, for people who, I, I've mentioned it before on other podcasts, but for people who are hearing this, like, what's this other pattern, Chris? <laughs> You're leaving me hanging. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do slash co slash views on view. So, Duncan, I believe you have also given this as a talk, right? That's right. I love about you. And some people in the audience had some things that they did not like about you that they had experienced. Is that correct? It's it's correct. So I guess I gave this talk at the uh, Cambridge JavaScript meetup group. So I'm based in Cambridge, UK. And it it was interesting uh, doing the talk. So I did the talk after the blog post, but I kind of did it on that format and, uh, I feel, I feel like the content works much better as a blog post than as a than as a talk because as a talk it felt like I was kind of going through here's ten things I love about you okay point one point two <laughs> you know it was it was a bit bit too uh, list oriented but um, at the end anyway some people uh, had some questions and there was some discussion um, uh, one person in particular they they mentioned that they had they had tried view they'd used it for a whole project. But then they'd run into problems with the reactivity, I believe it was. And, and they said that these, these problems, they were sort of bugging the whole app and, and they couldn't use it. And then they rewrote the whole app after some time. They rewrote the whole app in React and then they suffered none of these problems again. So I, it's kind of hard when someone criticize, criticizes view in that way because you kind of think, well, okay, maybe you ran into a legitimate problem there or maybe it was a problem with your own code. By, by saying that, is, there's no way for us to tell. Yeah. Although it is true that Vue on the whole, you know, the, the whole reactivity of Vue, um, which is one of the nice selling points, yeah. is you don't have to worry about should component update, did component update, uh, all these things. The state, by changing something in the state, your app, your app kind of magically re-updates. So that's yeah. one of the nice things. He said he ran into problems from that. We'll never know. <laughs> Yeah, in, in all of the cases that I've seen where people have talked about a, a problem with you, like not updating when it should or something like that, is them not using view.delete and view.set in okay. the appropriate circumstances, which we, we introduce when we talk about, we talk about uh, arrays and objects and stuff like that. When you're deleting something from an object, like JavaScript currently, at least ES5, doesn't have any way for you to actually detect like, when a deletion occurs. So that's, that's a change that we can't track. And so that's why we need methods like view.delete to delete something from an object and track that that actually deleted. And so there are a couple cases where we can't just magically like read your mind <laughs> and know when relevant state has changed. And there's a, there's a section in the docs as well that mentions that mm-hmm. in, in, I believe in change detection, there's a section on caveats, yeah. which is current, issues with change detection, which is a result of ES5 JavaScript more than Vue. And, and of course, in React Next, a lot of those issues will be, will, will change or like... Or Vue Next. Well, yeah, Vue Next. Oh, shoot, <laughs> did I say React Next? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, I meant Vue Next, yes, mm-hmm. because this is a Vue podcast. So in, in Vue Next, a lot of those issues will be, will no longer be issues because we're using proxies, which is an ES6 thing. Yeah. And, and and that that will basically and so if you were to use not React not use Vue oh my god yeah not yeah Vue yeah I, I am Duncan I'm like I come from the same background where I used to do React for a really long time and then I only started doing Vue like a year ago <laughs> and so I'm like sometimes in between two worlds but yeah so in Vue next. They will introduce ES6 proxies, which will basically mean that a lot of the change detection issues will no longer be issues. Yeah, all. yeah, we'll, we'll be doing that like under the hood, so people yes. who are using Vue don't have to like yeah, learn to use proxies. Use but, yeah. or whatever. That's the key right there. Do it under the hood, so the problem goes away and nobody has to change the way they work. Right? Yeah. So yes. really, they'll just be if people who are using Vue next, like there'll be parts of the docs that they won't have to read. 
<laughs> so it, it, Unless it, they use an older version, in which case they do. Well, there won't be a next version of the older version. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Will that be next.old? Next, next.old. Yeah, but there will, be, <laughs> yeah, there will be future parody. We can, we can talk about that in more detail at another time because it's, it's a whole big topic that we can go into. But that's a good point, Didier. Thank you for bringing that up. So, Duncan, do you ever get asked when you do that talk about the, the one thing I hear all the time, and Chris, you and I talked about this when we were on a while ago, Vue isn't good for building large applications. Do you ever hear that one? And how do you respond? I have heard that one, yes. And I guess... I kind of feel like, okay, I admit, I've probably only built medium-sized applications myself using Vue. So to some extent, I'm not really the best person to counter-argue that. But I think a lot of the structures it has in place, so I mean, we mentioned the, the uh, single-file components having nice repercussions on maintainability of code and these kind of things. A lot of these structures seem very scalable in Vue. I imagine with... With um, larger projects, you'll have to put more thought into things like UX. So um, if you had all your state in one place, then yeah, that could be complicated to manage. I guess we talked a little bit about the modules of UX. So that's that's one idea to start using those a bit more. But I guess, yeah, large projects are never going to be easy. It doesn't matter what framework you use. There's, they're, co- they're complicated for a reason. Uh, I, I was just going to say... For those people, like you, kind of just need to look around a little bit. Like there are big companies using Vue in like yeah. popular applications, and like in in China, I, I think it's been estimated that you know about half the one plus billion dollar tech companies use Vue in some capacity, including Alibaba in apps that have more users than the United States has people. <laughs> you know, so if 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 you are worried about like, oh, what if every single person, like, what if every single person in like North America, like became my user or something like that, every single person, like even babies, then like, yeah, this is, view has been tested at that scale. So don't worry. <laughs> I think you this know? is actually a great topic to do on what podcast and they just literally focus on what is, what does large scale application mean? How do we define that in different ways? And then what are the, what are the top things we look at? Like, you know, minification, uh, time to first bite on the page, the user experience, lazy loading, separation of modules, all the things we think about when we build large-scale apps. And look at how does Vue attack each one of those just to kind of dispel some of these things. When we were talking about some of the uh, other criticisms that came up from this blog post, point number 10, the last one, I think that probably drew some of the most debate. So it's about, I like Vue for the fact that it's, not maintained by a single corporation, not naming any names, but you know it feels like the the decisions which which are made in, the, in this steering the development of view and, and the directions there are more kind of community based. That's my per, that's my personal opinion, and uh, there have been some cases where Facebook made some decisions which were not clearly in the best interests uh, of the community. For instance, for instance, uh, the licensing model, which I brought up in the blog post, so. That used to be some kind of strange Facebook license, which no one could truly understand. Um, they have since moved it to MIT, though, so they are forgiven for that. And I and guess I, I've, I've, also, yeah, I've also seen it stated pretty explicitly in some issues on, on React that React is primarily for Facebook and incidentally for other people to use. Yeah, uh, and so it's it's solving problems that Facebook has, which happen to be problems that a lot of other people have as well. Which is, which is really nice. And it's really nice that as they're developing, it, they have this huge, like these huge applications to, to test it against, to make sure that it's going to work for you know, all of the different use cases that they have. So that there, are, there are a lot of advantages to that. But yeah, there are, some, there are some disadvantages too. Exactly. I guess the flip side to that, though, that some people brought up is they're like, wait, wait a minute, I don't like the, the kind of insecurity I feel about using Vue where you've kind of got one leader, you've got Evan, who's done all the code for this. And, uh, you know, what if he was to be hit by a bus and then all the development would cease? That was kind of some people's impressions. Um, I, I don't think it's like that. I think there's many people who have, you know, contribute to the code. Yeah. Um, and there's many companies, large companies, as you've mentioned, which are invested in the code. So there's people there who want to keep it, keep things going. Hopefully yeah, you won't get hit by a bus. View isn't like a completely like convoluted mess that like no one besides Evan can even decipher. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> there, there, we have had a lot of contributors to a lot of different parts of the code base, and it, we're you know that is something we're constantly working on improving too. So we can have even more contributors, but we're trying to, I think, to lower the bar as as low as possible. And the idea that God forbid I haven't got hit by a bus and that view would disappear the next minute is is mm-hmm. kind of silly think about it. So, I mean, yeah. what people are really getting out there, I think they everybody wants stability. When you pick something at a company, you want to know the thing that you're working with. It's going to stick around long enough for the yeah. life cycle that app to be maintained. And I, whether it's maintained by Google or Facebook or it's maintained by the community like Vue, I think you're really just looking at, is there a, a commitment by whoever's maintaining this thing to keep it around for the foreseeable future? Yeah. Nobody knows what's going to happen in 10 years or five years from that matter. We could all be doing COBOL again in five years. You never know. Yeah. Absolutely, but yeah, we we have um, if it if it helps these people concerns like we do have a lot of people contributing to like UCore and and other projects. You know, people on on the core team who like have commit access. Uh, you know, we we wouldn't be able to like no longer push out updates or anything like that. Uh, and and there are systems in place to have all the things that like if Evan got hit by a bus. For example, I guess I, I don't know why it's buses. People are so worried about. Yeah, what is it with the who takes a bus anymore? Yeah. <laughs> well, if, you th- if you're on the bus, if you're on the bus, you're pretty safe. I think it's mostly people who are not on the bus that, that might get hit by them. We should all just buy him up. And actually, I, I take the bus. I take the bus. Uh, so I think a lot of people do take the bus. And maybe it depends well, on your city. We'll just get Evan a personal driver, then he won't have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway. Anyway, like we have systems in place so that, you know, anything where like only uh, Evan has access to something, we have fallbacks in place so that we, like other people would be able to go in and get access to those things, you know, sort of dead man switch style. Like in my last pass password, I have, I have it set up so that like my wife or other people could like gain access to like all of my last pass stuff if something happened to me, you know, so if I, I don't like unapprove something within like seven days, then, you know, they'll, they'll get the password. But, you know, so we have systems in place. Nothing that's going to happen. Don't worry, people. And, I think that's <laughs> and, and Evan is very healthy. Yeah. He's looking, he's looking <laughs> great. He's, he's also mentioned like in multiple talks that he's given about how he, he wants to dispel that myth that he is the only person who, yeah. who contributes to view, because I think it's just if not anything true. he's like, I built a, a he he's consciously building a core team and trying to make it such that new contributors or people who are active in the view community can contribute back to the actual source code. Yeah. Because it's, because I, I mean, even the way that I see view is it's not one person's effort. It's like a community effort. And that's the reason why I come back to using view over and over again, because I feel like it's a joint, like, like what Duncan was mentioning you feel invested in the framework because you're like everyone equally loves it and equally mm-hmm. wants it to grow and succeed. And, and in that sense, you know, like multiple people are contributing, not just one person, maybe yeah. Evan just created it, but it's not going to continue that way where he's the only person who touches core. Yep. I think I just counted 24 core members listed on the view org page. So that's bigger than one. It is quite a bit bigger than one and global too. So Should be safe then. Yes. Yeah, really. So if there were any catastrophe that were to happen in North America, I'm pretty sure you will be safe. Or, or, the same or Europe, or Asia, <laughs> exactly. Australia, even Antarctica. Who's it, in Antarctica? Well, we don't have anyone in Antarctica, but if oh. uh, like a meteor hit Antarctica would be okay. Oh, yeah. What if the internet goes down? Are you, are you stabilized for that? If the worldwide <laughs> internet goes down? <laughs> so if the, if the worldwide internet goes down, I... We might not have a market anymore. I, I no one will. Yeah, like we're kind of. That's one of our. It's one <laughs> of our unstated dependencies. <laughs> requires requires uh, stable internet. Requires internet <laughs> for users to access. Yeah. Ported to CB radio somehow, so keep it going. We'll work on it though. We'll, I mean, you know, yeah. that's that's a that's a great concern, John. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> and we'll, we'll work on some kind of. Generator-based, like uh, Morse code situation. Just, yeah, just print every, over Telegram every few weeks. Print the entire source. Code Not Telegram the app. Telegram the technology. <laughs> we'll be wiring code to each other. I hope I'm retired by then. Pull request merged. Hey Duncan, getting back to your post. Yeah. 
looking at this again, I, I think this is great. And you talked a lot about some of the questions that people ask you both online in the comments and then also at the talks you've done. I'm curious, where do you see when we first started talking before this, you were talking about like, what's next for you? Like, what do you see? What are the next topics you're thinking about writing about? Okay, that's a good, a good question, I guess. One, I guess one of the things I, I was kind of looking at a while ago after, after this blog post was something to do with more kind of the internals of view. So I started going through the internals of view myself and I was kind of thinking, okay, I wonder if we can explain, you know, using very modern technology, which is not very browser compatible, things like uh, web components and the, and the kind of template features that they provide if we can create kind of a very bare bones view from scratch. So I was thinking of doing kind of a blog post about that, sort of some baby steps, you know, obviously not as fully featured, but just showing here's, you know, view doesn't have to be so scary. This is, this is some of the ways, the ways that you can get something similar to work. However, it is a, a bit more challenging than uh, the, the one I've written. So the one I've written just kind of, you know, came straight from the heart. So I didn't have to go into lots of, technical details probably my next one will be a bit more technical focused so i have had some other blog posts which kind of are better kind of picking up seo so things like async programming how that how that's done and uh, different node topics so i've written about things like techniques for reading files whether that's streaming files or reading them in the file system and which 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 system should you use and that one's actually been picking up recently with seo so you know something simple like that but, but on a kind of niche area those things tend to be quite good for me to write about, I think, because they don't take an awful long time, but but they're useful to people, which is kind of, I want something to be useful to people, I, I guess, when I write something. That That's a good like goal. A goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, hard, it's a hard goal, I guess. You can't always get there, but... Well, I think it's, it's good you pointed out because while that's common sense, I think a lot of times we do things, we speak, we write, we do videos, whatever. And we, a lot of times we do them because it's interesting to us. But if you don't also make it interesting to the audience, then it's not going to go as far. And I think that's what you did exactly in your post here is your top 10 views on view, basically, that you liked. It was uh, interesting to people reading it. I, I learned that lesson the hard way, talking to my mom about video games and the things I was excited about. <laughs> it's like, I haven't, she's like, I haven't played that game. I don't know. I, I assume, is that, is that the bad guy? <laughs> did you beat him? Are you happy about it? <laughs> What's the emotionally relevant information? <laughs> so, so Duncan, I'm actually interested in going back to, you mentioned that you were a React developer and you moved to using Vue and you found that transition really easy to make. I'm curious if, as you're learning Vue, were there certain challenges that you personally had in terms of like maybe translating more advanced concepts? Like what, was, what were things that you found difficult when you were making that transition? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I guess it's another one that's kind of hard for me to answer because for me, a lot of things from Vue came so naturally. Having used other frameworks, they kind of, the skills you've learned in that, React or Angular kind of translates very easily onto Vue. Also, Vue being based on, you know, standard technologies, single file component, you just have CSS, HTML, JavaScript, it's all kind of familiar. I guess one small thing that that, that I had to spend a little bit of time on was actually the reactivity so mm -hmm. as we discussed it's kind of this magic thing under the hood and uh vuex is also kind of using this reactivity and uh i do remember one time kind of debugging something a little bit and I, and uh what i hadn't done is I, I hadn't put a variable as null initially in the state i just thought i can add it there and it will appear uh, um, but however you have to have something you have to set something as null to begin with, so that view is made aware of it. And that kind of small detail wasn't very clear to me to begin with. Yeah, that's interesting. For me, it was when I transitioned from React to Vue, my biggest thing was just understanding patterns that would translate between the two. So so like Chris has done a wonderful job in writing the documentation because it's it's geared towards and, like and a lot of other contributors. And actually. and a lot of contributors, yeah. of course, of course, in terms of like explaining how Vue works and like it's really good for ramping up. But a lot of the times, especially if you, you're super proficient in another framework, you just want to be able to translate quickly, which is mm -hmm. like, it's, a, it's almost that frustration you get when you're learning a new language, like a new foreign language, mm -hmm. not JavaScript language. But so like if like I'm learning Spanish and sometimes it's difficult and frustrating because I'm like, I, I can actually speak leg, like very, 
like I can speak in complicated sentences, but <laughs> it doesn't translate. Yeah, in other languages, in other, not Spanish. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, that was always the frustrating part because I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I know how to do render props in React. I have no idea what that is like in Vue because obviously in Vue, that's not that's not what they're called. Yeah, how do you solve like a render prop like problem? Yeah, exactly. And, and the so, answer is scope slots. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is actually really interesting because um and and that that ends up happening a lot because when people move from one framework to another, the vocabulary changes. We don't use the same words for things, mm-hmm. but the concepts are the same because ultimately it's a front end framework. We use you know essentially the same patterns. Yeah, and so yeah, that's always the difficulty that I found. Yeah, and scope slots are a little bit different from render props, which yeah, is why exactly we don't the use the same. the same language. Because mm-hmm. uh, scope slots, we, you can use uh, in templates and in render functions. We, we've designed it so that they're they're usable with a nice interface in, in both scenarios. Whereas uh, render props, which can actually be used in Vue, you can use that with with render functions. Uh, they can only be used with render functions, though. So mm-hmm. they're assuming like parent and child, they're both using render functions. I think, um, yeah, I, I agree about the documentation as well being you know, really well written and uh, easy to get grips with. I, I actually had kind of a small argument with someone on Reddit about, he was saying, the view documentation, there's, there's so much more to it than, than React. And I was kind of saying, no, there's not. You know, you know it's, it's very easy to pick up. And I think the thing with Vue is you don't have to read all the documentation up front. You can just read a page or two and you've got something to get started with. And then when you encounter the next thing, okay, how do I do this? It's, it's there when you need it. And we have a section of the guide called the essentials. And the essentials are really like all the essential like concepts that you need to be productive in view. So you can read that. And you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people. You know, we, we work on making sure that people can get through that, you know, like on a free day, like on a Saturday or something, or, you know, if, if they can get paid to go through view. You know, just like taking one day and at the end of that day, they'll know how to build like serious view applications, which is a, a pretty nice onboarding experience, I think, to like be able to get started and be productive using all the main features that quickly. Yeah, and I think, it, like you say, it, you, it takes a very small amount of time to start using view and to form an opinion of it. You don't have to invest multiple, multiple days in it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Duncan. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work, more about the, the articles that you're writing? Sure, yeah. So I, I guess actually my, my introduction was a bit short to say uh, I, I work in Cambridge, UK. So um, as I already said, I'm kind of quite active in the uh, meetup group there. On Twitter, I have a Twitter account where I tweet about JavaScript mostly and kind of retweet things that I find interesting or funny related to JavaScript. And my Twitter name is The Web Nomad. So that's probably the best place to you know, find out where I am and uh, get updates on the next blog post that I write, which will hopefully be in the next month or so. And then my Medium account is where I put my blog articles. And uh, uh, my name on there is Dalai Dunk. So there's a <laughs> I have these silly names online. And I work, I work in Cambridge for a company called Cambridge Intelligence, and we make visualization software. So it's all browser-based using JavaScript, WebGL and stuff. Um, oh, cool. And I, I get to use kind of a lot of JavaScript frameworks by working there. Nice. WebGL can be fun. And if you're writing raw web WebGL, frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> for me, at least. If you're writing shaders? Yeah, if I'm writing shaders. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't do WebGL really personally much, uh, but I mean, we've, we've got WebGL devs and, and they've done everything from scratch to font rendering and, and all that kind of thing. You get, no, you get nothing given to you for free. Bless their hearts. Thank goodness for them. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, then let's start wrapping up and moving on to picks. So, Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution. Code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is is that you come and do a code badge and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. 
You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org. I'm going to start, I think, with John, if you are ready with your picks. Yep, I just had to press the unmute button. (laughs) So uh, I tend to do picks that are technical and non-technical when I do this. And I think the non-technical pick right now is some uh, books that I've been reading. I've actually never, I'm a big Star Wars fan, and I've never read some of the Star Wars books, and I've been actually getting into them lately. Some of them are really, really cool. Uh, and I've been doing them on audiobooks. So the pick I'm going to put out there is one on, it's called Ahsoka. It's on the uh, name of a Jedi person who basically was a Padawan or the uh, intern in non-Jedi Star Wars words to uh, Darth Vader when he was growing up. It's a pretty cool book. It's actually written yeah. pretty well. Intern doesn't sound nearly as cool as Padawan. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> I do realize some people don't know what Star Wars is, so <laughs> that's <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> so. I'm just an unpaid intern. <laughs> I'm just learning to use the floors. <laughs> I want that internship right now. <laughs> uh, the second thing is actually, it, I've been working with um, Standard Live lately, kind of playing around with it. And I think it's really cool. It's STD LIB. Uh, I'm a big fan of a lot of these different tools that are out there and these services, you know, like Netlify and Now and Surge and all this stuff. Uh, I was checking out Standard Live and it's uh, a friend of mine mentioned it uh, and been checking it out. It's pretty cool. Definitely check it out if you're interested in some of these online services. This is one of those cases where I think I've been pronouncing something wrong. I, I, I've always said like Standard Lib in my head and I realized like, I don't think I've ever talked about this out loud with people. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to say it's STD Lib, so <laughs> that's probably not the right oh, way. I've right? been pronouncing it like that. I mean, it could be. Maybe it's pronounced STD Lib. I, I don't know. We could both be wrong. I think I say standard. Yes, we could. Most of the time. Standard Lib. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think I think we'll never know. Yeah. There's no way to find out. Literally, no way to find out. Yep. No. We could we could reach out to people. We'll get to the bottom of this. Stay tuned for next time. <laughs> <laughs> the episode when we tell you how to pronounce things. Yeah. So, so, John, were those your picks? Yes, sir. All right. Divya, would you like to go next? Of course. My first pick is an article that Tom Preston Warner wrote um, called The Git Parable, which I think is wonderful because a lot of there's a lot of tutorials and blog posts that talk about how to use Git, and it's usually based on certain commands. So how do you commit? How do you merge? How do you squash? And so on. And The Git Parable kind of walks you through using Git from a sto- as a story so it introduces concepts it's really hard to explain but you have to read it uh it introduces concepts as they come as the complexity increases mm. so it's like a story about how there are these two developers who work together and they as they work together they find different challenges and problems and there's various git commands that will solve their problem but it's it's written in a way as if you are the developer who's building this, who is building it essentially from the ground up. That's great. I love the explanations that tell a story. It makes it so much more interesting. And I think yeah, yeah it makes it easier to engage oh, with. Completely. Like, and it I, gives you analogies. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of things that, that he mentions that I was like, oh, I never thought about it that way. But it makes complete sense, which I think is absolutely wonderful. And it's a great introduction for someone who doesn't know Git or even a reintroduction for people who already know Git or think they know Git. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll have to drop that in the show notes. So that one's really, really wonderful. And then the second one that I have is, I think it's called 10 Biggest Mistakes with Using CSS Grid. And it's a video that just talks about how misconceptions and just general mistakes that people make using CSS Grid, which is really, really fine, which is really, really like funny. And and a lot of it hits, hits like the nail, the, hits the head on the nail because like for example one of it is like oh you think that css grid will fix everything uh-huh. <laughs> like not always the case just like ux um, exactly <laughs> just like ux um so that's actually a really wonderful video and then my last pick is probably the same as chris's which is cards against humanity because we are currently recording live well not live not live 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 for everybody live, else live on for this the, podcast. the people on the podcast <laughs> for the panelists yeah and for duncan exactly but we're recording from the cards against humanity headquarters in chicago illinois yeah we're actually together side by side yes. for the first time exactly that's it's pretty exciting they have a really really nice space uh we hosted a meetup here yesterday which which was which, which was good mm-hmm. 
you, you may not notice any difference in audio quality, but for the oh, first time, do. we were in like a sound booth with a blast door and like these like mics like you've seen on TV, or at least like I've seen on TV, where it's like you pull around, they're like robotic arms that go up to your face and, and these like professional headphones and everything like that. Like I feel like a super legit podcaster right now. Exactly. And it feels really good. And that's what's important. It feels yeah. good to me and it feels good to dip. Oh, completely. Better than being at home with like cats crawling over Well, I mean... Oh. That's pretty good too. Yeah, I guess. I yeah. guess so. Yeah. I thought you guys were always this <laughs> professional. No, no. <laughs> you, you're you're in for a treat, Duncan. No, I, I usually I usually start podcasts like apologizing. It's like ah, I'm sorry. It was a cat, and <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. Sorry, it just said him. He's lying. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that that is all my picks for today. Beautiful. And then, yeah, one of my picks is Cards Against Humanity too. Thank you very much for hosting us, giving us this like free recording space. It's been really nice. And I also want to give a couple picks. Uh, Divya has has some things to say about both of these, actually. So these are maybe like joint picks. Uh, One of them is coffee that has been eaten by (laughs) a marmot or some kind of animal. It's a a civet. Civet? Yes. And then the civet poops it out. And it makes the coffee really good. Yeah, it's it's actually supposedly the best coffee slash most expensive coffee. Wow! In the world. So I, I have a little I have a little sample of this that I'm going to be trying that that Divya was able to provide me, and I, I'm gonna I, I'll have to report back next time on how good this is. Yeah. Yeah, and then my my second pick is also I think. I think this is a historical moment because I think it was Divya's first pick ever. Is that true? I don't know what you're picking. So the granola. I, oh, it was. It's your granola. Yes, it was my first pick. Yes. Yeah. So I actually, I, <laughs> Did you have it? I, I should have tried it before the podcast, oh, but I didn't. No. And I still tried the granola too. And it's this granola made by a guy named Rick, which is it's Mexican granola by a guy named Rick, but it comes in like a legit package and everything. I imagine like it would be a paper bag when I first heard about it uh, and the first time Divya was on. <laughs> but it looks super legit. It looks good. I can try that too. I'm going to have to report back next time if I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a for real thing. And those are those are my picks. I'll have to, we'll have to drop some more details about yes. that in the show notes because yeah. that may not be very specific. <laughs> um, but Duncan, what are your picks? Yeah, so I guess... Going on that, the theme of you went for a coffee thing, thing that you're drinking. For me, one of my picks would have to be kombucha tea. Oh, so yeah. I don't know if you guys have tried that, but I tried it for the first time. I was recently in America, so uh, last week, and they, and they seem to have kombucha tea. Everywhere. Maybe it's like the latest craze over there. And we were in a supermarket at one point after being, we were at some kombucha bar, and then the next day we're in a supermarket, and they have this kombucha tea. Oh, look, there's kombucha tea in the supermarket. And then we just realized, oh, there's basically like a whole shelf devoted to this stuff. And it's basically like this kind of slightly fizzy, fermented tea, which maybe doesn't sound that nice, but it's supposed to be very good for your stomach. And uh, also having the caffeine hit definitely helps as well. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I like kombucha. kombucha. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. I didn't realize it was a very American thing. Since you know, yeah, I think it's, butter. I think it's more popular in America. <laughs> Like, I, I'm offered kombucha only in America, probably. Oh. Like, probably no other place do, do people, like, offer me kombucha. Well, I guess I've never really heard of it drunk in Asia. So, yeah. We're, we're slightly behind you guys with trends. So maybe in a yeah. year or two, it'll start hitting the shelves over here as well. Yeah. When do you, when you start getting going to get uh, faucets that have, like, have, like a, a hot and cold that goes through one stream so that you... <laughs> So that your only choice isn't like water that's too hot and water that's too cold. We, no, we have those. We do have those. You do have, but like there should be no reason. It, like it's still quite popular to have like the hot faucet and the, the cold faucet in a sink. Yeah. And all I'm uh, saying, Duncan, all I'm saying, Duncan, is work on it. You know, talk to your people, uh, you know, reach out to your representatives and and make some change that we can all believe in. Because uh, there's, there's no advantage to these old style sinks that that just are worse. Well, you have the plumbing technology. Well, there's there's no there's no clear advantage, but we've got you know we're a funny little country. We've got funny little ways, and maybe there's there's some reason behind that broader than we can understand. You, know, you, are, the, you are the people. Maybe there's a reason. Like there can't be a broader reason behind what you understand. These are the choices you as a people make. <laughs> You can't, you can't push off responsibility. 
It's, it's anyway. true. Yeah. <laughs> this is the answer I this is the answer I've gotten with all of like all of my uh, my UK friends. And it's like, oh, there's probably a reason for it. <laughs> or, or I've also heard some people say like, oh, but it's quite, I mean, it's quite nice. It's traditional. You know, like. <laughs> when I was in America, actually, some people were saying uh, the other thing we're known for apparently is not having uh, dryers in our houses. I thought, really? Oh, it's is all that... lines. Yeah, like we hang them. Well, I mean, but the thing is people do have dryers in their house. It's, yes. It is quite a normal, although I don't. So I, I do fall into that trend. I don't have a clothes dryer. And I don't have, uh, yeah, in my bathroom, I do have the two taps, which, which is sometimes annoying. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that one doesn't feel as weird to me because it, it's like, quite normal. Yeah. I, I guess uh, how I grew up too. Yep. Same. But, but, I, but I did grow up with um, modern plumbing. And so that, that one is uh, a bit of a sore point for me. I grew up without, without piped gas. So there was like a gas man who had to come with a canister. A gas man. Yeah. <laughs> but did you grow up in hot countries? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Singapore. I, I, I grew up in a hot country. I, I grew up uh, across the pond from you in Belgium. All right. Okay, cool. Yeah, but I mean, it's, so, I mean, you think in hot countries, fair enough, not having a dryer, but somewhere yeah. cold like the UK, we kind of need that in the winter. Oh, definitely. Mm. I would imagine. All right. But yes, did you have anything else besides kombucha? Uh, yeah, <laughs> any, any other picks? <laughs> oh, yeah, one, one other thing I'll, I'll mention then is... Um, so there's this website I've just been coming back to recently. I used to, I used to use it a lot in the past and I've just been getting more interested in it recently and it's called uh, IndieHackers.com. So I guess it's oh. probably fairly well known. Um, but it's I really like just going on there and reading about founders' stories. So often it's kind of like solo devs, you know, creating some kind of SaaS or some other business and um, just telling them, telling how they got to where they are. And that's, what, that's the thing that kind of really attracted me to web development in the first place is being able to build something that people will use and, um, you know, possibly make a business out of it. So hearing those stories is, is always really inspirational. Indie Hackers has run, is, does Stripe run that? Or they it was, that? Yes, I think it was, it was uh, bought by Stripe okay. um, not too long ago. Yeah, because I think they run, they run meetups regionally or hackathons regionally where okay. locals can go to and, and work on, on on their ideas outside of work. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. Cool. Then I think that's it today for Views on View. Yep. Enjoy the view. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.